So I want to just be up front and out in the open about something that I heard this morning. Um, if you saw my message title um, about meekness, somebody said, I don't think I ever expected that I would hear a message from you on meekness. <laughs> and it was hilarious to me because this person loves me and knows me well and um, wondered how does meekness look and um, and it's a good thing. It's uh, It's kind of a... Uh, actually, not a first time I've heard that or thought that it was it was true. I thought, Lord, um, in this book that we're we're talking about, we're down to about five copies. So get one if you haven't already. It's by Sky Jafani called "What If What If Jesus Was Serious," and I don't mind pushing this book. I've had some people say to me, "Wow, it, it's just like you said. It's like short, pithy." moments where you get to kind of hold that thought together during the day and come back to it later. And I think that's true. And and uh, the fact is, um, you're going to learn something as I have been learning about meekness and what it means and doesn't mean. And uh, it's kind of like that joke in Sunday school when the teacher asks a question and, um, and I forget exactly what the teacher was fishing for, but a child raised his hand, the little boy, and said, uh, she said, does anybody know the, na- the answer? And he went, yes, Jesus. And, and he wasn't really connecting that to anything except he knew probably a pretty deep truth. Karl Barth was a theologian that has written widely, uh, deeply, and he was asked in the twilight years of his life, okay, give it to us straight. What's the most towering truth? come across in all these years. Didn't have to probably turn in his Bible to that truth. He could quote it. But instead, he he got uh, quiet, and then there was a quiver in his voice, and he said, Jesus loves me, this I know. Help me. For the Bible tells me so. Little ones to They are weak, but he is strong. You can't leave it there. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. Yes, Jesus loves me. The sound better than Bart that day, you know? It's very special, very true. Um, <clears throat> let me come to my title right away and jump into the text in front of us here today. Um, by the way, you can get these books in the back. I mentioned that, but I didn't tell you where to get them. And if we run out, we'll get you more, all right? So um, I'm, I'm sure that my title, for some, sounds a little, a little strange, if not confusing. It's like, Meek matters, and and you put Jesus in that same sentence. I mean, he was a warrior. Remember, he was the Lion of Judah, says Revelation 5. But meek? You and I live in a world that winces when we hear the word meek. It's, uh, It's not guesswork at all, but it has little to no respect for meekness this world we live in. 
In fact, um, the common view of weakness, of, of meekness is weakness, and it's sayings like meek is, well, maybe you've heard this before. That guy person is as meek as a mouse. Um, or, or, or worse, meek like a doormat. Meekness is not something that there's a big appetite for in this world. Go to any school of business and they'll tell you that's the quickest way to go out of business. You be meek? Really? Can that only work in these four walls? Or maybe in your marriage? Or maybe as you're bringing up your children and trying to instruct them in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? Is that the place where it works? And if so, I, I wish Jesus had said so. Because the wor world will eat you alive. Or seem like it might. Meekness. Uh, given the disrepute that has descended on all things meek, you might say, and this is my thought, we have a pretty tall wall to climb. If we are to say things the scripture affirms about meekness in a world with the view it has about meekness. That's a tall wall. Some are resisting it already. Uh, maybe not in the room, in the house today, but someplace else. So if you're hearing this, give it time. Give it a minute, okay? Okay, 35 minutes. Just give it that. That's all I ask. And, and we'll see if your mind changes. In Jesus' famed Sermon on the Mount, he opens with a series of um, statements called Beatitudes. You're familiar with them. The Sermon on the Mount covers chapter 5, 6, and 7 of Matthew's Gospel. It's the most complete version of the four Gospels. In chapter 5, he wastes no time. Jesus repeats the word blessed nine times. The list begins in chapter 5, verse 3, and ends at verse 11. It's a word, the word blessed, uh, that refers to a, a state of spiritual well-being and prosperity. Blessed is sometimes translated happy and even blissful. In each statement, Jesus calls attention to a character trait that, hear me now and hear me good, a character trait that if present in his people, are you hearing a big word I emphasized? If. If present in his people will result in a promising outcome. Okay? It covers all of them. Look it over deeply on your own. But that's, that's a summary fact. In the third beatitude on his list, which is in verse 5, if you haven't turned to Matthew 5, we're only going to stop there quickly and make note of it and then develop it in other places this morning in the Bible. Uh, but Jesus describes a quality uh, that is often scoffed at, as I've mentioned already, or even mocked by our world. His words now. Blessed verse 5, are the meek, said Jesus, for they will inherit the earth, end quote. 
Blessed are the meek, came the words of Jesus. For they will, I said, there's a very positive payoff. They will inherit the earth. So even if you were in a hurry, you open your Bible and you get to Matthew 5, and you're in a hurry and you read a statement like that, uh, you will likely slow down when that, if you read it with any thought. You will slow down or even stop and wonder, if not just ask aloud, what? What does that mean? How can that be the case? So um, let's begin with the payoff, okay? That's, that's what I want us to do, that Jesus promises the meek. Second half of that verse, they will inherit, help me, the earth, okay? Now, inherit is something that we understand, most of us do. Just a quick review of that. It's where something of value is received by the previous owner of that something. Could be a car, could be a mutual fund, it could be a home, it could be a fortune in gold. There's no inherits just that word that says if you're the if you're the recipient if you're the beneficiary you inherit what belonged to somebody else so um, for the record Psalm 24 verse 1 says the earth is the Lord's did you know that so when Jesus says in Matthew 5 5 you will inherit what belongs to him you making that connection? So you will inherit the earth is a way of saying, because I own it. I'm not giving some, it's not an inheritance if you're giving somebody something that did not belong to you. You don't have the legal authority to do that. But God says the earth is mine. And it doesn't matter, as you think about inheritance, the size of the inheritance. It's still receiving something that wasn't yours, and watch this now, you didn't pay for. All that coming together? It's key here. Um, <clears throat> which makes it a blessing. Which makes more sense out of Jesus' words. Blessed are the meek, because they're about to get something they did not earn pay for an inheritance from me clearly Jesus doesn't give something small at all to the receiver you can't get that from the whole earth right so we're with we're together on this when we read that it's correct to think that's about as big as it gets. Wouldn't you say? How many of you have ever inherited anything? Okay, some of you. How many of you plan to make a, a beneficiary out of something you leave behind? Okay, all right. So this is supposed to be the, I, we're part of the generation that's going to leave more money to, the, to our next of kin than any generation in history. So spend like crazy people. 
and pray for the rapture. My uncle used to say that. We would have a fun time and go to Disneyland on him, and he'd say, we're like, oh, Uncle Bob, this is too cool. He goes, spend like crazy. Pray for the rapture, you know. <laughs> He's just messing around. So anyway, back to big. You know, the earth is huge. And when you receive that as an inheritance, that's, just, that's bigger than anything, right? Anything I can think of. I guess you could throw in some stars or the universe. But the earth's enough. So here's the deal. Debbie and I live on a fifth of an acre on Luke Lane. It's .20 of an acre. That's so insulting. Why don't you just call it an, a fifth of an acre? That sounds bigger, right? But, but here's, here's the deal. When we were looking for, for land to build this house on a long time ago, 30 years ago, um, we, came to, we came here, um, and we had heard something, uh, I think of a, a lie, I'm going to call it. Not from anybody here, but from just the, the news out of, out of this place, out of the northwest. You know, Oh, they just about give away land. It's just so, you can just do any, you know, just offer anything, they'll take it. And so we, we came up here with this thought that we want about five acres. And so we, we get up to the Willamette Valley <laughs> in Oregon, and we started looking around. And it wasn't long. I think it was the first day we went, oh, my goodness. We were lied to. We got to adjust our expectation. And we searched around town and eventually landed on a fifth of an acre, which is where we live today. That's all we could afford. So imagine my mental calculation when I read these words that I will inherit, that means free of charge, which sounds good to a Scotchman, <laughs> how much? Everything. That quickly drew my attention to the terms and conditions. Let me use the word catch. What's the catch? You ever think that way? Somebody goes, you just, you know, you, they, they promised something too good to be true. And I, what I discovered surprised me. There is a, not terms and conditions, but there is a single simple word that Jesus uses. He states it as the term, the condition to qualify for this incalculable inheritance. To inherit the earth, I must be meek. So, I'm just going to say what you're probably thinking if you're if you're you're with me already. You're there's a lot riding on this. Right? I don't just want a, a fifth of an acre in the future. I want the whole puppy. I want wide freeways where no one else is on them. Yeah, no, you get my point. I want I want to get this right. So it's wise that we not assume what we know the meaning of meek is. So what is meek? 
Here's a Webster's Dictionary definition. It's quick, but it's, it's a start. Meek is an adjective that describes a gentle spirit. I thought that was interesting. A gentle spirit. It's often used interchangeably with a couple other words in the Bible, humble and gentle. But is that the full story? All you got to do, Steve, is learn to be humble and gentle. That's like that's not, you know, like that's going to be easy. What's the difference? I mean, is that all there is to it? Perhaps you've heard the expression, meekness isn't weakness, it's strength under control. I have a question. I'll ask it as a question. Is that true? You get to just noodle on that. It's a rhetorical question. Is that true? So let's ask Moses comes to mind. I've got two people I want us to see and we're done. One's Moses. And um, did you know Moses was meek? Okay, so check this out. When we first meet Moses in the Bible, it's right there in Exodus, we, um, we meet a man that God chose to lead his oppressed um, that's a strong word, but it's true. People in bondage from Egypt to freedom in a land flowing with milk and honey. It's called the promised land. It's Israel, Palestine. And all that I just captured for you is in Exodus 3 through 12 when they, when they bust out of town and they're on their way. It's only a two-week trip. That took 40 years. <laughs> Seriously, you want to know how far off the road you can go, off the path you can go? Ask the Israelites. It was less than two weeks. It's actually an 11-day trip. They could have made it. I don't like manna. Manna burgers. We were at a concert the other night. Keith Green's got a great song about manna. It's just really fun. Uh, uh, banana bread. <laughs> anyway, it's funny. Um, but here in Numbers 12, I stopped in Numbers 12. I want to just give you a snapshot. This is, uh, they're on their way. A 40-year trip is what it became. They're on their way, and there's uh, Moses in charge, and he's leading God's people toward that promised land. But they're doing a circuitous route that would take a long time. And his brother, Aaron, and his sister, Miriam, criticized him. You're a leader. Criticism doesn't just, I mean, sometimes you meet a Ronald Reagan and you think, I don't think anything stuck. I don't think he ever went home and said, Nancy, I'm really hurting. I just... I think she might have wondered that. I don't know. I'm just making this up. It's not in my notes. But I'm thinking, he was just this guy that, that just forged ahead, changed our world. I, for one, would have him back in a nanosecond. But here's the deal. Um, maybe he did go behind the curtain and just go, oh, 
Somebody said something that got through. And I don't mean a nice thing. Usually it's the nasty grievance. Somebody just takes a shot at him. And it's and it devastates him. If not him, let me tell you somebody I know better than that. Me. Praise God that we are a, a church that doesn't pick on its leaders. You who stood here today, good for you. You're not, you're not a target. You are from the devil. The devil wants to take you and me out. But you know what? You have people around you that are willing to lay it down for you. And don't ever forget that. That's what this church is great for. And we're going to stay great for that. Amen? You can applaud right now. That's okay. You got a chance to do it. That's what this is about. But Moses, from his brother and sister, they take a swing at him. And it was a sucker punch. They pick on him for marrying, and I don't want to get into the details. Was it right or wrong for him to marry an Egyptian? Uh, It really doesn't matter, an Ethiopian rather. It was a cheap shot. And we're told in verse 3 of Numbers 12, we're told in verse 3 something we need to remember about Moses. Why it hurt him so bad. I'm quoting, now Moses was a very meek man, meeker than anyone else on the face of the earth. Are you getting this? He is the one God goes, hey, bro, come here, Mo. I'm going to use you. I'm going to lead my people through you. And you know the story. He tried to get out of it because he knew I'm just a wuss. I'm just a weenie. I just am not the guy, God. You know the story. It's in chapters 3 and 4. And if you are making excuses for why God can't use you, go there. You will find your excuse right there. God says, I'm going to do it. So he goes, okay. Shaken. There was this noise the whole 40 years of his knees knocking together. And Miriam, way to go, Miriam. And Aaron, way to go. They pick on him. And, and, and Moses was meek. That's for sure. The Bible wouldn't say that if it wasn't true. But not weak. How can I say that? I want you to take in this scene. It's, uh, it, we capture it a little bit later, but I want you to hear it. Moses, um, remember when he met with God on that mountain. It's in the South Peninsula, Mount Sinai. And it was on that mountain that God took these tablets of stone and with his own finger wrote on them what we know as the Ten Commandments. God did. And while Moses was up on that mountain, I'm going to call that fairly holy place, right? Like, what am I doing here? I, can't, I don't belong here. I'm just made of clay. And God gives him these tablets, and while he's up there, there's this terrible development that takes place down in the camp. And I want you to um, let me go to Exodus 32 and just read a couple of words. Um, find it. Here we go. And... <clears throat> While he's there, uh, the people down in camp, I'm just going to say they went off the rails spiritually. They absolutely lost their minds. And he's up there, and he's, um, in their judgment, delayed in coming down. And finally, God says, go down to those people. They're 
there's, there's a sound of war in the camp. And so verse, I'm reading from verse 18, Moses replied, it's, it's not the sound of victory, it's not the sound of defeat, it's the sound of singing that I hear. What? Verse 19, when Moses approached the camp, he saw the calf that Aaron had ordered all the people to bring their gold and will, will make an idol. We're not sure we're going to see Moses again, and who knows who God is. Maybe that's his thinking. I don't know. But he, to, to placate the people, he makes this golden calf, and, the, and they're dancing around it, worshiping it. And in anger, I'm reading from verse 19, his anger, Moses, the meek one's anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. You wouldn't miss that scene, but there's more. And he took the calf and melted it down in the fire. Then he ground it into powder and scattered it on the water and made the Israelites drink it. I don't know what that's like, if, if, if gold poisoning or something. But anyway, they're drinking this, right? And we're not done. Let me just say right here before I read the next. He was meek but mighty. How else do you explain what I'm going to read to you now? It's just across the page in Exodus 32, verse 30. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a terrible sin. But now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. God offered to say, hey, I'll smoke them now. I'll give you a brand new nation. Verse 31. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, oh, what, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. This is Moses talking. This is him and God. Please forgive their sin. But if not, listen to this, then blot me. Out of the book you have written. Whoa. Folks, meek is not weak. Meek is uh, strength used properly. Debbie and I enjoy a show called And it's, um, it's set in the Canadian Rockies on a uh, ranch in Alberta, Canada. It's a really beautiful setting. And most episodes involve horses. Being the expert on horses that I am, I'm constantly saying, Debbie, is that true? Because her dad had thoroughbreds. And, you know, there's a lot about horses that she knew, knows and knew and was around. And I'm just not. So I've learned a lot about horses, and, um, and it's taken a long time because we're in the 15th season of this show. <laughs> yeah, we're hooked. We've watched it twice, okay, so pray for us. But anyway, um, and here's one of the things that I've discovered. It's called gentling a horse. Now, I'm the guy that doesn't know horses, and I thought what you do with a horse that's wild is you break it. 
right? I don't know what break means, but it's definitely a different word than gentleness. I'm like, come here. I'll break you, dude. You know, horse, I'm in charge. And, uh, and this gentling is where you take a wild horse or a stallion, so I could relate to this, um, <laughs> that runs a lot and it, it bucks a lot and it lives freely without borders. It just goes, these wild horses. And, and um, gentling brings the horse under the influence of a trainer through a relationship built on trust. Same wild horse, but now it's, it's gentle. Cool, cool picture. And that happens a lot on that show, but that's what meek looks like when speaking of people as well. You know you. You know if you're that person like a wild horse. You're, you, we too tend to be people that we buck and, and we resist and we resent and we rebel against boundaries. Don't tell me what to do. That's called stiff-necked. Read Proverbs 29 verse 1 and find out what happens to stiff-necked people who will not bend, who will not be gentle. And God wants to bring the wild within under his control. Um, I mentioned Jesus. I will just quickly mention what I had in mind. Jesus was the one who extolled the, we, the, the meekness virtue in that beatitude that we've already talked about, chapter 5 in Matthew, verse 5. But <clears throat> Jesus, much later in chapter 26, on, the, on your way there, do you remember the, this invitation from Jesus? Matthew chapter 11, the one that said, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the world, the whole earth, a little bit later said, come unto me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am, one translation says, gentle and humble in spirit, and you will find rest for your souls. Another one says, and you come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am meek and lowly. That's Jesus talking. My yoke is easy, and my load is light. That same Jesus we find in chapter 26 of Matthew. Please see this with your own eyes. It's a scene where Jesus, frankly, redefined meek for me. Really did. You thought maybe I was going to talk about the temple. Remember the temple when he went in there and, and he turned over the tables? I actually know some people that say, that say, this is the table, everybody. Can you see my table? They say, they, they almost have a picture of Jesus that when he came in and turned over the tables of the money changers and all those, right? 
that, that he went like this. Okay, here we go. There, there. There, it's turned over. You really think that's Jesus? Is that? Well, it's meek. I'm not convinced that's anywhere close to the truth. I think turn over the tables tipped over the temple. I think people, I think he was like, boom. Right? I think so. He's the same one in Matthew 23 that said not once or twice, but seven times, woe to you scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. And if you don't think he didn't point a finger, they tell preachers don't do that. He did. And he did it seven times. And if you want to look on their face, it was like, because they were wild horses and not about to be tamed. Matthew 26, verse 47. You just got to see this. While Jesus was speaking to his uh, disciples, they were asleep in the garden, remember? And then came a crowd to arrest him. He says in verse 46, rise, let us go. Here comes my betrayer. It went down like this. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the 12, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs, sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayers had arranged, the betrayer, Judas, had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man to get arrested. Going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greeting, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Do what you came for, friend. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. Pay close attention now. Verse 51. With that, one of Jesus' companions, we know from John 18, this was Peter. No hiding it. One of Jesus' companions, Peter, reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. He used to say, that's because he missed. Should have, he wanted the head. Touch my Lord. Don't touch my Lord. Verse 52. My Bible has red ink on these words. They are Jesus' words. But put your sword back in its place, he said to Peter. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. And this is what blew my mind about meek. Do you think I cannot call on my father and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say, it must happen this way. Don't you think I have the power? Jesus is the ultimate example of meek. He had the means of self-defense. It could have ended right then and there without anything but a thought, but a Hurricane wind just blew all those people over. He had the means of doing it that way, but he abstained from using his means. And in fact, corrects Peter for his lack of such restraint. 
if, let's talk about Peter at the end, just a quick point. If you had been there that night, you would have seen it all. We just captured it quickly here. His arrest, his attack, um, um, the attack on Malchus, the high priest's servant, by Peter. You, we would have seen all that. And the meekness of Jesus amidst all of this. And like me, you may have left wondering, well, Peter was there. I know he went on to betray Jesus that night. But what eventually happened that night? How did this night, how did that moment impact him? He saw Jesus. He had ammo that would have taken care of this situation. And he didn't, he didn't even draw a weapon. What did Peter do? Because we know denial and then he was restored. But what did he do? And to find the answer, the correct answer, I want you to turn to, to words that he wrote. These are autobiographical words from Peter himself. I told you we'd bounce around, but this is really cool. Anyway, I'm having a blast. First Peter 2. These are, these are words from that same guy that was there that night and went shoop, to that ear. And heard Jesus say, I could have done that, Peter. That's not my priority. In other words, I have the power, but I'm, 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 I'm mighty, but I'm meek. What did Peter take away? Wonder that? Well, wonder no more. Here's his commentary on that night, verse 19. 1 Peter 2. For it is commendable if someone bears up under the pain of unjust suffering. Where did he get that idea? Unjust suffering? It's an outrage. Call an attorney. Get, no. Because they are conscious of God. Verse 20. How is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? It's called justice. But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To this you were called, Peter says in verse 21, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in Jesus' steps. He committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When they hurled their insults, which they did later that night and into the next morning, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he himself entrusted himself to his father who judges justly. Verse 24 concludes, He himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins, live for righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. I can say Peter was deeply changed. And I can't read those without feeling some of that change in my life. I used to be a hothead. Still see it pop out every so often. <clears throat> but meekness is one of Jesus' very esteemed attributes. And I thought to myself, what would it what would it look like if it became one of my attributes? That's the prayer for you.
give us a moment of quiet to pray that very prayer. Lord, thank you for being the, the example in yet another area. An area that you bless when you see it in your people. And an area that's not possible. It's not an attribute that we are capable of on our own. We cannot muster meekness. We cannot. It will not work, and it will not last. But we can with your help. We need help. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for being that help. Thank you that actually one of the fruits that you will produce in our lives, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, meekness, and self-control. Meekness made the list. And it made the list of what you want to do in me. So I tell you straight up, I want that more. You won't gut me from the strength you've given me. You'll simply bring it under your control and use it powerfully for your purposes. And I want nothing less than that. So to that end, Lord, we thank you that you're answering prayers of your people right now because you're the faithful God you've always been and always will be. Let's stand and sing that song. Faithful now, faithful now.